Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast created specifically for our women here at First Pres Augusta. I'm Amber Barrett, and for the next several weeks, Vanessa Hawkins and I, along with various members of our Bible study teaching team, will continue talking together about God's Word, specifically the book of Ecclesiastes and the unique ways it enlightens our lives. Joining us today are Katie Driver and Ann Morris. So first things first, ladies, Katie and Ann, would y'all please introduce yourselves, and then we're all going to take turns describing the first thing we learned how to cook. I'm Ann Morris, and I, I will celebrate my 45th anniversary this Sunday. So cool. Yes, with my, my wonderful husband, Byron. We have five children, and they have given us 15 grandchildren. It's amazing. It is, and they all live here except one tiny one up in Nashville. So our lives are full and wonderful. And what's the first thing you learned how to cook? Because I bet you cook a lot. I do cook a lot. Um, Not as much as I used to, but the first thing I learned to cook was a little cherry pie with my grandmother. My dad's mom had me over as a probably a five year old, and we we prepared a small cherry pie, and that was it's a memory that I still love to think about. Oh yeah, you did the crust. You had to do homemade crust. I'm sure. I'm sure she showed me how, but. It was those cherries going in it that made the memory. <laughs> Which is so much better. What was those, what were those things called, those like little let's bake where you put the fake muffin in? And anyway, oh. as a five-year-old, <laughs> a people are working oven. with the, easy bake. Yeah, easy, easy bake, bake oven. Easy yes. bake oven. Easy no bake. easy bake oven for no, you. You no, were doing this is for real. the real thing. <laughs> real okay, so I am Katie Driver, wife of 24 years to Chris, whom... I actually got to know at High Life here at First Pres back in high school. So I'm also mom to Ethan, who's 16, and Sarah, who's 14, soon to be 15 in just a couple of weeks. And I work part-time as a nurse practitioner at Christ Community Health, and I've been there since 2008. A few other things about me are that I love to read and learn. I consider myself an introvert, and I also love exercise and being outdoors. As far as cooking, I thought about this and thought I could really answer the question two two ways. Either what is the first true meal I learned to cook or what is the first thing I learned how to prepare? So I decided to tell you guys what the first thing I learned how to prepare is because you really can't call it cooking. (laughs) And, um, you know, when I grew up uh, in the 70s and 80s, this was when microwaves came about. And so my sister and I Love to make snacks in the microwave, and we had two favorites. The first one we called a bologna pop-up, and it was a slice of bologna covered with a slice of American cheese, and we'd heat it up for about 15 seconds in the microwave. I don't know if you've ever cooked bologna, but the rim around the edge, like the film that's around the edge, shrinks <laughs> when it gets hot. So basically this this recipe, and I'm using air quotes for those of you who can't see me, it's hardly really a recipe, but <laughs> when you cook it, it basically creates this bowl of greasy American cheese. Oh. <laughs> so uh-huh. It was disgusting. <laughs> um, I don't want to go back and make that again, but... Um, the second thing we'd make, actually, I really would love to make again. It was a Ritz cracker, 
covered with peanut butter and three mini marshmallows. And mm. this we would also watch cook through the window because the marshmallows would get enormous and then they'd shrink back down like right when it stopped cooking. But that was that was yummy. I think we really just wanted to watch what was going to happen in the microwave yeah, yeah. more than actually eating the food. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's not what I was expecting you to say. Yeah. <laughs> Nurse practitioner love exercise yeah. outdoors. I like bologna, bologna pop-ups. American cheese and marshmallows. I, I really think you should bring the bologna pop-ups to the next woman. <laughs> I think that would be great. <laughs> Lots of napkins for the <laughs> slime. Yeah. That's uh, funny. Well, I think I was kind of like Katie in that the thing I remember most was not really um, something that required a recipe. My mom and I would boil eggs at night, that was like our go-to snack. If we were hungry after dinner or something, we would boil eggs. And so we would have a couple of boiled eggs. But so probably the first thing I prepared and the thing I prepared regularly was I like to bake. I found baking stress relieving even as a kid. So if, if someone frustrated me or if, if, if school was a bad day, I'd come home and bake cookies. Yeah. So I can see that. But, you know, um, I don't think hard-boiled eggs are easy. Like to get them right and to get it so they peel and all the shell doesn't mm-hmm. stick on it. And we like them kind of soft. We like a little, okay. a little soft in the middle. So okay, that's why you cheat and get an egg cooker. Yes, just right. push go. Just push go. <laughs> that's what I need. Egg cooker. All right. Well, I did cookies too. That's what I learned to make with my mom mm-hmm. and chocolate chip cookies. And the reason that I wanted to know how to make chocolate chip cookies, I did want to know how to make the cookie, but I wanted to eat myself along. I wanted to eat my way through the process. So (laughs) chocolate chips, then the dough, then the cookie right when it came out, and it was all ooey gooey, and then cookies for the rest of the night. So I pretty much ate my way through the first thing I learned how to cook. And I will say that in the midst of all the eating, though, I did learn, of course, the important lesson that y'all learned to some degree is how ingredients interact with one another. And it's important to get the combination correct, right? So it was important for my mom to teach me that you cream the butter and the sugar, not the butter and the flour, in order to get the desired result. So as we come to Ecclesiastes today, I want us to remember that the author, the preacher, has been describing the way different ingredients of life interact together in vain in order to ultimately lead us to the one ingredient that produces a satisfying result. Today we're going to take an honest look at justice and injustice, Our conversation comes from our personal interactions with Ecclesiastes 3, 16 through 4, 3. We encourage you to read this passage when you can. The preacher begins it by saying, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I think most of us may be able to put to words our views on injustice, but what about our understanding of godly justice? Vanessa, can you tell us some of what you understand about the characteristics of godly justice and how godly justice then defines true injustice? Sure, sure. I I think godly justice first is just who God is. Scripture teaches that God is the righteous judge. It's the the sense of moral equity that just flows from who he is, from his infinite goodness, which means he always acts rightly. He always acts justly. And the terms justice and righteousness are practically interchangeable in Scripture. So when we see God punishing wickedness, 
It is just because it is consistent with what the wicked deserves. When we see him sparing the wicked, and we're glad he does, mm. it is just because it's, in, it's consistent with his goodness. And so he always acts justly. He cannot not act justly. So, but we are not always just. We've had justice or righteousness laid to our account, imputed uh, through the blood of Christ. But right justice is necessarily derived from the one who is always just. And while we've been declared righteous in practice, we're not always righteous. And in fact, you know, we're often far from that. Paul says it to the um, church at Rome, brethren, my heart desire prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved because I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge and being ignorant of God's righteousness. They've gone about to establish their own righteousness and not submitting themselves unto the righteousness of God. And, and I think that's the truth we see playing out in our world right now, in our cultural moment. We see this truth on stark display in our um, current cultural moment. And I think in every election year, <laughs> we mm -hmm. see that where people entrench themselves on the side of one righteous cause, and we hope it's righteous, and then such as protection of the unborn versus another righteous cause versus protection of oppressed people group or, or fairness or righteousness towards a people group. And we divide such causes down party lines, but in scripture, they lay side by side on the page. And our sense of justice is so limited and biased towards our causes and our interests, our own personal interests. And so the Lord's sense of justice isn't thwarted by uh, his own personal interests or biases because he's not biased. And his sense of justice flows out of who he is and who he always acts as according to his good and just nature. So I think scripture just doesn't allow us to choose a favorite. And it commands us to do justice and love mercy. And if we're asking the question, well, should I do justice towards the oppressed or towards the unborn? Scripture answers with a resounding, yes, do justice for the oppressed and the unborn. So I think it's easy to think about injustice on a broader scale. But what about personal injustices? Um, what is an injustice that you ladies have experienced in your own life? And maybe, uh, you know, some of your unhelpful and helpful responses to such injustices. Well, Vanessa, I, I, I got out the dictionary because I thought I really need to know what injustice really means. Mm -hmm. what, what is it? And Webster's helped me know that it's, it's the violation of the rights of others. It's, it's unjust. It's wrong. It's unfairness. It's, it's undeserved. So I, I did think long about an injustice in my life. And, you know, I realize it's easier to tell a story of undeserved treatment in another person's life. I thought that, well, I don't have that much injustice in my life until I spent days on it. And I realized sometimes uh, wrong treatment can come more from close people to us. And that's, that's a different kind of pain than just mm -hmm. from far away. But my story 
that came to mind was of a a young man that my husband Byron befriended. He uh, had a young family, and he was in ministry, and very unfairly he was treated. We, We happened to have him and his family over one night for supper, and they shared with us the the many tears and the great heartache of their year. It was um, particularly hard to hear about how we as Christians, when we're so intent on being right, that we can be very hard on each other. This was the summer when I was studying Psalm 121 in preparation for a ladies' gathering. And as I heard his story, I kept thinking of the verse, the Lord will keep you from all harm. But here at my kitchen table was a young family telling me of injustice, things undeserved. It was really going to alter their life, this hardship. I finally got bold enough to ask the question, you know, I've been reading about the Lord will keep you from all harm. But what I hear from you now, that he's not keeping you from harm. Help me understand this. And, and I hope I'll never forget. He leaned in towards me with such depth of emotion. He said, oh, I am so kept in the love of God by Christ Jesus that I realize nothing can ultimately harm me. Nothing. And I knew he meant it. He was not just pulling up a Bible verse to quote or, or claim. He knew he, how loved he was. So I, I know there is a time to speak up, and it's a skill I am late to learn. I, I still need to work on that. But I also know that the truth that the temporary sufferings in this life throw us on the real truth, the real truth of the love of God in Jesus the King. No one was ever more mistreated than our Lord. What did he do? First Peter 2.23 tells us, and I realize Peter got to watch this. He watched when they hurled their insults at him he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Oh, I think about the threats he could have made. Big, big threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So yes, sometimes we as little sheep need to learn to speak up and and we need to really learn to speak the truth in love. And sometimes, well, We always need to remember who our shepherd is and all he did to make us his. And just ask him, will you handle this for me? And then go rest in his love. Rest, try to rest in his love. Well, I can honestly say that I had to search deep and wide in my memories for an answer to this question, which honestly just makes me realize how very how very privileged I am. Um, However, many years ago, I was hired as a research assistant, and I was a trained clinician with many years of experience under my belt at that point. Um, I was told that my knowledge and skills would be utilized for patient care, but it became clear to me very early on that I was not going to be given the opportunity to see patients, um, but rather would only be doing administrative tasks. And I Furthermore, I was not I was not being paid properly, despite 
having clear negotiations about that at the time that I was hired. So the bottom line was that they just simply did not respect mid-level providers like nurse practitioners and didn't have any experience with or trade or trust my training and education. And it was extremely uncomfortable to say the least, but I did stand up for myself with the powers that be and ended up being paid appropriately. But ultimately I resigned and just felt extremely demoralized and undervalued by the whole situation. And, uh, you know, I think as believers, we are taught by scripture to turn the other cheek, but I don't think that's black and white as to what that looks like. I do think it requires discernment Mm -hmm. to tease through what that means in situations where we're truly being chronically mistreated. And there are times that offenses should be overlooked and other times when it's appropriate to be assertive in a godly manner, particularly, I think, if it's a systemic issue that could affect other people and not just ourselves. So I do think we can look at the example of Christ and see that there were times that he was meek. There were times that he was bold, depending on the circumstances. Um, As far as my circumstances, I think it was good to be assertive and make it clear in a polite but God-honoring and professional way that the situation was not appropriate. Um, You know, I had an opportunity to right a wrong and change the perception of future mid-level providers within the practice. But in the meantime, I worked really hard to do the best job that I could. And um, I will say privately, it was not helpful for me to be as mad as I was (laughs) or to rant as much as I did to my husband. And if I'm if I'm being truly honest with myself, my heart was was very resentful at the time. Yeah. Well, I think honestly, this question for me the times I've experienced personal injustice are plentiful enough that I can't allow myself to linger there for too long. Uh, What came to mind pretty quickly, though, was working in corporate workspaces. And on two different occasions, at two different companies, I was paid far less than the coworkers on my team. And the first company, I was, you know, what, mid-20s. And as you know, I worked in engineering and technology. And... I had a team of men that I managed mm. and the, the boss who had given me the bad salary. And, and you know what I won't say is a bad salary. It was a good salary. It just wasn't a just salary. Hmm. So that boss was replaced by a woman. I never will forget her. Suzanne Brozak. If you're out there somewhere, I love you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> who came in and said, was outraged. Yeah that I was not being paid my worth, um, you know, paid according to the work that I was doing. So that was one time that that happened. When finally I moved on to another business, to another company in corporate America, uh, I was working with another team of men. At this time we were all, um, we were coworkers and we were doing the same work, project management and IT. And I worked for this time a lady who brought me in at a salary that, again, was a good salary, but it was not a just salary. She was replaced by a Puerto Rican man who came in and looked at the salaries and was outraged at what I was being paid. And I think what I get from this is until personal injustice is no longer personal, we can't really fully Mm -hmm. get... um, the heart of God for justice, I think. So until I am as outraged by Amber's injustice that is is leveled towards Amber as I am about injustice that's leveled towards me, 
and I think we haven't fully captured the heart of God in justice. Yeah, that's a great way. And and it seemed like those people that came in and replaced the people you're working with before had probably had some experience of injustice themselves and knew how to recognize that and care about that in somebody else. No doubt, but they, they have certainly um, taught me a whole lot about the heart of God. Yeah. And they've taught me a lot about how I can rely on him to fight for me. Yeah. Um, it's been, that's been a powerful lesson for me. Yeah. Sometimes we don't want to say that God's going to fight for us in that way. He does. Want, yeah, I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I take he ownership does. Of that. Mm. All right, well, mine comes from um, my boys. I've mentioned before I have three boys and they all like to play sports. <clears throat> and to me, the sports field or the sports court or whatever can sometimes be a little microcosm of life that reveals things to you about who you are and what you're going to do in real life, in big time life. For example, uh, my oldest son, Creed, he's 15 and he's played soccer for most of his life. And now he's in a league where they play aggressively. (laughs) They play physically. You know, there's a lot of get down, get dirty kind of action (laughs) going on. And on Saturday, he was playing in a game and he made an aggressive run with the ball to the goal. All right. And on his way there, two players grabbed his shirt from behind One threw his shoulder into him, and another one slammed him in his lower back as he was getting ready to shoot just to ensure he didn't make the goal. Well, I try to keep my mouth shut at sporting (laughs) events because I will say something that I regret. But at that moment, I couldn't help throwing up my hands and shouting, Hey! That is a foul, (laughs) right? That's a foul. And several other parents on our team thought the same thing, and they loudly let the ref know that they thought his uncall was unjust. Right? Yes. Yeah, and it was. But here's the thing, all right? It is nothing for those same parents and me to turn around then and cheer Creed on or another player when they in turn get similarly Mm -hmm. physical and aggressive they make that type of play. The player goes down, and the ref does make the call. He calls foul. Well, we'll throw our hands up again. What? That's so unfair. That's so biased. I can't believe you called that a foul. It's the exact same action, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we tell our player, hey, don't listen to him. Go R. Don't listen to that. You do what you need to do. Da, da, da. And it has just struck me like how insane that is, how completely twisted that is. And our understanding of justice. And it just has helped me Mm -hmm. see, like, we want justice. This is sort of like what you were saying, Vanessa, until we're able to want it for someone else. As much as we want it for ourselves, we don't truly understand the heart of God. Mm -hmm. That's what I see. Like, we want justice in the moment for our kids. We want justice for our team. And we define it, and and we're willing to redefine it when it comes to those who oppose us. So it means one thing for us, but it doesn't mean that same thing for you. And it really is true that no doubt if we struggle with that on the sidelines of a soccer game, then we struggle with it in the larger world as well. And uh, it's a struggle. So what do we do then when we see injustices in the world? What are some of the injustices you see around you? And how? Have, what are some of the helpful ways that you've reacted to those or responded to those and some of the unhelpful ways? Well, um, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a nurse practitioner at Christ Community, and we serve many uninsured and underinsured patients. So we're interacting every day with, with people that are experiencing systemic injustices that unfortunately are just so prevalent for our underserved communities. So inequity is staring us in the face every single day at the office. 
One of the most frequent ways I see that is among the working poor. So I have many patients who work very hard, but at low income jobs Mm -hmm. and they make too much money to qualify for government assistance, but not enough to purchase the very expensive health insurance that's available. And it, it just greatly affects their access to care. So our response to that as a practice, um, to that injustice, is just to work as hard as we possibly can to provide quality, excellent, you know, primary health care and coordinate timely specialty care and diagnostic testing and find medication at a price patients can afford. But I'll tell you what, it's a, it is a daily struggle and ultimately one that we have to trust the Lord with. And it's it's super easy to get tired and to get cynical and complain and grumble. Um, but I think, you know, in our better moments, we realize that I realize that that's really just demonstrating a lack of faith. I have to remind myself often that God is on his throne. He's giving me everything I need to do the job he's given me to do for these patients with excellence, that he's their heavenly father and he cares for them more than I ever could. And in those moments, I often come back to 2 Corinthians 9, 8, which says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. And I love the absolutes in these verses. It's all grace, all sufficiency, everything so that you can have an abundance for every good deed. So God's not doing things halfway, and I will not be lacking in any way to do what he's placed before me to do. Um, What an encouragement that is to me when I feel like I don't have enough resources to right the injustices that are around me. Katie, that is so good, and and you really do have just a front row seat Mm. to watch these things and to ponder and to... I don't. I didn't really think of an example like that from my life. As the older woman, though, among us, I I just think so much about our country and the news we hear, and how even in it affects families. And what comforts me the most is just to know and to cast myself again on, there is one who knows the whole story. Mm-hmm. He really does know both sides. And our God will act in justice. He will. If I am made aware of a, a great wrong, and it seems like there, is, there really is no way to make this just, I cast myself on our, our God and say, you will. You will deal with this injustice. It softens me to not um, live in anger, madness. I don't want to get too soft in that, but it, it really does help me to trust Lord Jesus. You will do what is right, and I really do not have the answer. I think I have a, a unique vantage point um, in that I grew up with a father who worked in law enforcement. And in fact, it was my job to clean the hardware that went on his shirt. So I got to do that. I got to polish his hardware. I thought it was a great job, too, oh, by yeah. the way. So I got yeah. to polish his hardware and put it on his shirt mm. in time for him to get ready for the graveyard shift that he worked oh. each night. So I also stayed up and watched Star Trek while I did it. <laughs> you should know that, too. But so to see those two officers in L.A. 
be gunned down in their patrol car a couple days ago just Mm. sickened me. Mm -hmm. Um, I was undone. And what immediately comes to mind is that our passage talks about the evil done under the sun. Because that is an evil that just outraged me. But beyond outraging me, it breaks the heart of God, the just God. Um, What also breaks the heart of God is the police brutality that is playing out in our cultural moment against Mm -hmm. African-Americans, particularly males uh, and and females, but African-American males primarily. That, too, is an evil under the sun. Mm -hmm. It's gross gross injustice that breaks the heart of God. And I've just heard so many accounts of people who have just grown numb to it. Um, They're just watching in hopelessness, situation after situation. And it's just, it's tough to bring our, to to reckon that there is a just God who allows these injustices to continue. So talk to me about what are your expectations? What expectations do you have regarding God's response to injustice? And has the Lord affirmed these expectations or directed you to different ones? Talk to me a little bit about how you think about that. I think this study has been so helpful for that. You mm-hmm. know, I'm thankful that in Ecclesiastes, even even as the preacher Solomon is a realist and he doesn't allow us to live in the denial of the brokenness of our world, he doesn't he doesn't leave us stuck in the meaning the meaninglessness of life. Mm-hmm. So, I love the already not yet reality of the kingdom of God. Um, this idea that we have a future reality to look forward to in the new creation where injustice will no longer exist and all deeds will have come under his righteous judgment. But at the same time, his kingdom has already come. You know, in Christ, it's already come, and he cares deeply about today. So I like to be reminded that he's in the process of redeeming the here and now. And um, the Hmm. verse, Psalm 27, 13, I, I love this verse. It's a huge comfort to me that says, I remain confident of this. I will see goodness, see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean everything will be made right tomorrow, but it does mean that we have seen progress, that we we do currently see progress, even in the midst of the hardness we're experiencing right now in our culture. And we will continue to see progress. So we don't have to live only in that imagined future of our redeemed eternity, as glorious as that will be. And give up on today. You know, God cares about today. He's in the business right now of redeeming every aspect of this fallen creation. And we have the privilege, because we're here, of being a part of that. So um, I guess for me, it's just recognizing that God has given us the opportunity to paint our own brushstrokes today on what is going to become his ultimate masterpiece. He's, he's in the process of redemption. Vanessa, you speak of um, the horrible transaction in L.A., and I realize that's a wonder of the world that we live in and also such a tragedy that that we know what happens in Los Angeles, and so we can feel it and experience it, but yet what can I do about it? And I've just thought more and more of these questions the study makes me think not just think about injustices done to you, but be more aware of how just are you living? Where can you touch that you can be fair and speak up for those who 
are being treated wrong. And that has been a helpful thought to me uh, in just the overwhelming sadnesses that we see on the news and, and hear about. Lord, what can be done about all of that? But to, to turn it to, Lord, here's my world. This is where you've placed me. Now make me an instrument of your justice right, right where you've put me. You know, in the aisle of the Kroger grocery store or the driving down Washington Road or seeing a little child, what, wherever it is that I'm more aware of being an instrument of his justice. I really believe if, if each of his children became aware like that, that, that we would see more and more of the justice of God, the fairness. And I think sometimes... There are also opportunities to avail and support organizations that have arms longer than ours mm-hmm. yes. and to yes, um, yes. be a support in that way. And I think as far as expectations, I've lived long enough, especially in this skin and in this body, to just expect injustice mm-hmm. as part of the fallenness of this world. And James reminds us to not think of it's strange when we suffer these kinds of trials. But what I've also come to expect and to count on is that the Lord will show me his goodness. As you were saying, I can Mm -hmm. expect to see his goodness. I can Mm -hmm. expect to experience his kindness. I can expect to see his faithfulness, even as I wait for justice that I may not fully see in this life. Um, Yet we are still commanded to seek justice, to love mercy. That's an actively seeking justice, loving mercy and walking humbly with him. We can do that with confidence that he will empower us to do what he has commanded us to do by his spirit, and that ultimately the righteous judge will always do what is just. Amen. With that note of encouragement, we hope you'll join us again next week. Take us for a run or let us help you mop the floor. We will be discussing (laughs) Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 7, and what church looks like under the sun. We'd love for you to join us. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian wife she sees. It is the Lord who rises with healing in his wings. When comforts are declining, he grants the soul again a season of their shining to cheer it after the